welcome to another episode of Debatable. I'm Nina. I'm Kyle. Um, today we're going to be talking about Vitos. Um, the reason why we're talking about Vitos is because Asian season is already upon us and one of the quintessential aspects of the Asian parliamentary format is the presence of Vito. And most people don't really talk about it as much as they should. I think that given that you have 30 minutes of prep time in this format, the reason for that being there, there is a veto. So like in, in really high um, stakes rounds, some people take 10 minutes to do their veto. And it's because it's one of the first steps to determine if you're going to win the round or not. Yeah, and also I noticed that when you're training for Asian season, a lot of the time you just forego with veto because it's it's very tiring to think of three motions. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but you're only going to beat one. So a lot of the time people are saying, oh, let's just make it 25 minute prep time. Let's take out the veto. Let's just do one motion. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, an underappreciation, therefore, of what veto is. Because I personally think that you can get an early advantage during veto because... And as we'll demonstrate later in this episode, the I think the proper way to do veto isn't just to like have a prediction of what the motion will be, but also a prediction of how the debate will end. So whenever I'm doing veto, I always have like an idea of what I want the debate to be, like the entire debate. So even before the debate proper starts or before the veto ends, I already have like all these good ideas and like, how to like, a, like a blueprint of sorts yeah 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 so the first thing that we're gonna do is to talk about the technical part like how do you do veto in case you you've never um done asian parliamentary format before basically um they don't just give you one topic they give you three they give you three motions and then each team will have to rank them based on their preferences and so you go one one two three with one being the highest Three being the lowest. The reason why we call it a veto is because the motion that you rank the third, that's going to be like a non-negotiable. You're not going to debate that. Yeah, like eliminated. It's it's automatically eliminated. And the other team will presumably have their own veto. So if um, both teams veto completely different motions than the last motion, the one that remains, that's the motion that, we, that will be debated on. Yeah. Yeah, and... But there are times where you veto the same motion, and then your one and twos are different. In those instances, you have to flip just, a coin. Yeah, yeah, just flip a coin to determine. Or bato bato picks. It, it depends on the context. Well, bato bato pick was kind of changed. I heard it was changed because you you can actually game how you play bato bato pick. Yeah, I mean, there's like a whole game theory to it. Let's not get into that. But the the point is that the coin flip is the fairest way to determine which motion would be debated if you have the same veto. Yeah. So anyway, that's like the technical part how to do veto. If you want to learn more about it, there are manuals about it. Um, I think we just want to jump straight into the strategy aspect of veto since. Yeah. Like, yeah. So <laughs> the next part is we're going to be talking about what to think about during the veto and. Like there's there's some sort of structure here. It's kind of elegant. Like when I when Nina and I do veto, we do this subconsciously. Like we don't actually go like, oh, this is the first thing that we ask. This is the next thing that we ask. Yeah, it, it's sort it... of like subconscious. But these are generally the things that we think about during veto. First one is, um, what do we know? So um, this is usually the part 
this is usually where most vetoes begin and end with other debaters. Like, it's like, oh, I know something about this. I can make an argument here. I can make an argument here. I can make an argument here. But it's not just about making arguments, right? As we've mentioned several times in this podcast, it's not just about the argument. It's more about the strategy. So the veto is about brainstorming like which motion do you probably have the best strategy to. So that's just the first step. The second part is you have to identify the strongest argument of your side. So you want to look at your burden. You have to go like, oh, we can argue this. We should argue this. And then you have to ask, like, can you run it well? Because there's a difference between you knowing the burden, what you have to prove, and you being able to prove it well. Because the latter might require some experience, might have required you to train a little bit more about this particular topic, etc. That's why it's also important to go back to what you know. If you've encountered the motion before and you know how it played out, then that probably gives you an edge. Or if you have niche matter on the topic that you know that other people don't, then that's probably something that you can incorporate into your argument to make it stronger so that you know you can already kind of predict how you're going to prep later on should this motion be picked. Yeah. And let's assume that you did identify what you need to be run. Let's say you know how to run it well. Next question is, is it easy to rebut? If you are a very strong opposition team or an opposing team, if you're very strong, how would you rebut it? Would it be easy to rebut? Do they have a silver bullet against that argument? So when you say a silver bullet, that is basically like a surefire way to kill like a werewolf and let's let's say that your argument is the werewolf Mm -hmm. yeah so does the opposing team have a silver bullet against that and even if they do how would you respond to it and is that like a smart way to deal with it yeah so you, you sort of have a little debate in your head as you are doing the veto you're sort of trying to project what the exchanges will be like already trying to see who will have the last say if you think your side will have the last say and you have like eventually the strongest rebuttal in the sea of rebuttals that you've had in your head, then it probably means it's a motion in your favor and a motion that you can do well. The next thing that you can ask is, um, what is the strongest argument of the opposing side? And like you, the ideal here is you want to know what your strongest argument is versus their strongest argument, what's your weakest argument, what's their weakest argument, etc. So you want to make sure that even at their strongest and you're at your weakest, you can still beat them. Yeah, so you, you still have to find a silver bullet against their argument. Yeah. And I think this takes a lot of practice, um, a lot of case builds to perfect because you cannot predict what your opponents will say 100% of a time. But if you practice it enough and you sort of have an idea of how your opponents think or how you would think if you were in their position. And that helps you in the long run, especially as you're prepping the actual argument and when the round proper takes place. Yeah, so it's that. And then you also have to think about whether or not you have a silver bullet to that argument. Because if you don't, um, if you don't have a silver bullet to that argument, and at the same time under that motion, they have a silver bullet against you, then it's highly likely that it's something that you should veto. Yeah, or, um, or rank lower. Or rank lower, at mm. least. Because there are lots of times when the it seems like the entire set is against you. Yeah. Like, it's weighted <laughs> against you. Yeah, there, there are sets that you 
will encounter. As much as Agecore tries to be fair with all the three motions, there will be motions where you think it's not intuitive to your side. And that just probably means you have to think a little deeper, um, take advantage of how your opponent is thinking. Which leads us to the last one. You also have to think about how they will veto. And I think this is the aspect that is very underutilized in yeah. the circuit. Like, you, you just think about what arguments you can run or what arguments they will run. But you can also sort of trick them based on what you think their veto will be. So if you know what they're going to eliminate, you can just play around with the other yeah. two motions. And then you can, let's assume that you already have a veto and then you're thinking about what they'll veto and then you expect that it'll be a perfect veto, which means that the motion that you ranked first will be the motion that they ranked third, um, and the motion that you ranked third will be the motion that they ranked first. So you both debate the motion you ranked two. Yeah, so if you know that, um, it's more li- like you reduce the uncertainty and you give yourself more time to prepare for the motion that you're eventually going to. So it is possible that you already know what their veto will be before they even show you the veto. Yeah. Before they even decided, okay, let's, let's, we can do the first motion or the second motion. You already know that you're gonna do the second motion. And that gives you more of an advantage because it gives you a more f- time to prepare. But second, because of the way that you did the veto, um, you already have like a blueprint as to how to win in that particular debate. Yeah, so that's kind of what Kyle and I like to do. So we veto rather fast, mostly because we, we've done so many Asian tournaments together. So once we're done with our veto and they're still making their veto, we have to wait for them. So while that's happening... We already do prep. We already prep the motion that we know will come out. Or if not, or if we're not sure, we prep already the two motions yeah. that are left. Right, so that eventually gives us an advantage either way. So I think we're just going to straight go to examples. Um, yeah. We're going to veto in front of you just so you guys see how it works. Um, obviously, this is just a, uh, a This test is how run. we do it. Yeah. And also, it's a test run. We haven't done Asians in a while. Also, we don't have a third partner, which is very important. Make sure you collaborate with all your teammates. The whip should have some inputs. They shouldn't just be there listening to the constructive speakers. We, we should make an episode on like prep dynamics during Asian season. Yeah, we'll probably invite like, people. Like the rules. Like um, like builder, um, the, the prep leader, the builder, and then the devil's advocate. Yeah, so we'll do episode one all over again, but make yeah, it Asian. Make it Asian. <laughs> Alright, um, so are we gonna do that set or the ones I have? Because we have like a lot of prepared sets. How about your set? Your set all right. first. Um, so, there, the sets we picked um, showcase different ways that vetoes can go. So I think let's go with the traditional, the traditional way of doing veto first, which is uh, a, a motion set that is more likely fair for both sides, where it's predictable in a way. Right? Yeah. So this is a science set. I like science. So the first motion is, this house regrets the premium placed on original research compared to replication studies. What's the, repli- what are replication studies? Yeah, so this this motion set came from Adelante, um, which was a tournament that just concluded like really, really recently. Last night. Um, last night by the time of this recording. So like Feb 2, yes. Um, it's a high school tournament. And this motion set, had an info side. The info side was about replication studies. It's a rather long info slide, so I'll just sum it up because I, I know what replication studies are anyway. So in science, original research is basically um, discovering something that hasn't been discovered before or venturing into a new field, developing a new theory, you know, those spicy things that 
all scientists crave for. But replication studies is a more boring form of research. What it does is it takes a research that was already done. And the purpose of this replication study is just to test whether the theory that that original research did is consistent. So more or less, what you have to do is in replication studies, you just confirm or try to find loopholes to the previous study. So the point is just once again and again trying to test the theory that exists. So that's basically what replication studies is. So that's the first motion. So regretting the premium placed on original research compared to replication studies. The second motion is this house would create an anonymized national registry of citizens' genetic information. There's no info slide here, but I think it's very straightforward. You just get the genetic information of everyone, put it into a database. Make it anonymous. Make it anonymous. That's the stance of government. And the last motion is this house would make all research publicly accessible. So no more patents. You don't have to buy the research to add to it or to use it in your like RRL. You don't, you don't have to pay at ResearchGate or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like everything is Sci-Hub now because it's publicly accessible. So... We're gonna veto this first at Gov. Um, and usually when we veto, you kind of get a mindset of what OP will yeah. think anyway. So this is like a two-in-one session when you're vetoing with us. Alright, all right. so I think we, we know quite a bit about all three of these motions. Yeah. Um, the second motion, I will let... I, I, I'm not that confident with the second motion. The, I think you're more confident with the genetic information. matter here. Yeah. Um, so this is our first motion, Aman. I, I, I feel like Gov is sort of straightforward because you can just paint it on Gov and this would be my strongest argument that like it's part of science it's part of science to um, confirm studies and it's not just like you have this um, you have this fixation or on original research even if that research might not be confirmable mm. or replicated. And the reason for this is because there is an overwhelming incentive to prioritize making original research, um, even at the expense of past research that might be valuable. So this is the reason why you, you see like a lot of science says kinds of articles, like a new study says coffee will cure cancer, yeah. wine will cure cancer, etc. And this like this also involves a lot of like p hacking and like other statistical hacks that people use um, mm-hmm. in their research but it's crucial for you to have replication studies because in order for science as a whole as a body of knowledge to move forward there needs to be like a set foundation of knowledge mm-hmm. and I'll go back to things like um, Thomas Kuhn the historian of science he said um, there needs to be a paradigm that everyone agrees on like, everyone has to agree, for example, that this cures cancer, this doesn't cure cancer. Yeah. Yeah, in so order like for a, the body so, of knowledge to move forward. So, in, in science, you call that a creation of a paradigm. So, a paradigm is a set of theories um, to determine, like, what the world is or what the paradigm yeah. of science is right now. But I would say in opposition that, like, as much as replication studies is valuable, original research is something that we should still put on a pedestal because... Like, if that's the case, what's the incentive to study one-off situations? Like, how people feel right before an election. Or what people feel during a nation, uh, national or natural disaster. Yeah. These are things you can't replicate. So, in government side, you are, like, discouraging people to look into those, like, one-time or isolated phenomena. Right? I think an easy way to respond to that would be to say, 
Well, that argument only works if government's argument was to replace the premium placed on original research with a premium placed on replication studies. Yeah. Understand? So, I think what we want to say is that the priority should be more or less equal. Like, they're both equally valuable to the body of science. I would say that's hard to run, though, if you're trying to make it equal because a lot of your arguments seem to put a premium on replication studies. Right. So, I, I, I feel think like can... at op, I would I would capitalize on that. Where if you, we want it to be equal, you're not achieving it in gov side as well. Do we have a silver bullet on gov? Well, I, I'd say in gov, even if there's a premium place in replication studies, it's still good. Because I would say it doesn't stop original research from happening anyway. Like, if we remove mm. the premium, people will still want to do original research. Oh, yeah. And then we can um, start arguing that there is still a value in having slow, steady, but very sure-footed progress. Yeah. But it, but an op, though, I would run also a silver bullet that replication study sometimes takes place in original research also. Because for original research to take place, they have to take away and still make an RRL based on other research. So what it does is it takes knowledge from other studies that already exist as well. All right. But I don't think it's as strong as our silver bullet at GOP. So right now, I'd say I, I put this pretty high for government. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> the, the next motion is... Um, the Anonymized this... National Registry of Citizens Genetic Information. I actually have matter on this. Yeah. Um, so the British government before made a registry of genetic information. That was before World War II. And because it wasn't anonymized, what happened was when Hitler was in power, he took that information and used it to identify who the Jews were used it to identify who were the superior Aryan race and then segregate people, which led to the Holocaust. So it's all because of genetic information. Yeah, but that's up. And also... Oh, it's up, yeah. <laughs> and and also, that's not anonymized. Yes. They have any matter oh, no, for no, anonymized? No, no, this is gov, though. Because we, we would say it's anonymized in our side. Like, because if we have information... Yeah, yeah. So we know that the Hitler thing happened. Yes. So that's the reason why we're saying, oh, there are benefits to it. Um... But in order to safeguard against Hitler-type abuses, we should make it anonymized. Yeah. What are the benefits to it being anonymized? Well, protection of people's information. And I would say you still get to use the information to advance scientific studies. Like, we still have a pool of information that people can use and test medicine with. But it doesn't mean we have to know who owns that genetic code to get that advancement. I would even question in op. Actually, I'm not sure what op strategy is. Are they against yeah, me also? Are you, are they against the existence of a registry, a registry or just like having it having it anonymous? Yeah, yeah. That, that's the reason why I'm I'm very iffy about gov here because you have to anticipate you two have to ops. anticipate like two oppositions because opposition can clash by saying we should have a national registry of genetic information but not anonymous yeah. or we they, they can also say let's not have a national registry of genetic yeah. information at all and I think that's that's very difficult there for for gov yeah I, I think I'd veto this just based on the fact that in strategy like even if I have a lot of arguments for government the fact that I don't know what the strategy of op is puts me at a disadvantage because I can't prepare you can't you pre- your predict your ability to predict what will happen in the round is less. Yeah, and I feel like my, my prep time will be severely like damaged because I can't preempt. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or the last one. Um, the last motion is fairly like, Make balanced. all research publicly accessible. I, it's very classic. In, in government, obviously, I think the silver bullet in government was PIDC 2016 semis, which was 
given climate change. I yeah. will make it context specific. In climate change, we need as much information publicly available yeah. so, to advance science. Like at, at the onset, you already know that this debate is about innovation and opposition because yeah. um, being able to retain the fruits of your own personal work is the reason why people end up making the work mm-hmm. versus like accessibility on Gov. So I would say that on on Gov that it's more about accessibility rather than innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, because like we're at this point in time where we have so much science and the science is so great, but the problem is like third world countries mm-hmm. cannot access it. Like it's it's very difficult, for example, even in like Philippine universities, for example, it's very hard for them to get access to the research. I don't think it's a silver bullet for Gov, though. I just thought of something for opposition. Because it says all research. I'd say in opposition, we already passed laws that limit the patents and absolutely remove it for things that we deem essential, like climate change technology. But in government side, you have to defend even smartphones. Like, there's all research into smartphones will be publicly accessible, even if there's no urgency. So in op, I can co-op the Gov benefit and say, we can still advance green tech. So I would put that a little bit lower. Alright, so I, our veto is one, one three, three two. two. So our first is the like premium on um, original research and regretting it. We would so, three the the national registry because we don't know what Ops gonna say. And I think we do the last motion because both sides have a silver bullet, so it's fatal either way. It's just gonna boil down to how okay. we run it. So what what's the worst thing that opposition can tell us? The, on, on the last motion. No one will do research at all. Like, sure, there's an urgency for, for green tech, but why will I want to do it if there's more costs to me than benefits? Right? If I don't earn anything from it, you we in opposite in government side, since everything's publicly accessible, you're going to rely on the benevolence of people to advance science. But people are driven by money, they're driven by legacy, they're driven by patents. How how do you beat that? At Gov? Yeah. I would say that yeah, we can rely on the benevolence of people. And not just that, it's not just benevolence. There's also public pressure, especially for big corporations who can access green tech. There there are so many protests, so many call-outs on Twitter, so many like um, lobbyists that can urge them to develop the research. And now they won't have an excuse if it's publicly accessible. And ah, um, one of the biggest reasons why patents are so important is because when you have an invention, mm. um, you want to monopolize the market for that invention so that you get to recoup the research and development costs. Yeah. But if all research is publicly available, you reduce the research and development costs. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah. So the harms of op, the harms that op is pointing out yeah. won't happen because yeah. so, of the nature. Um, what's interesting to note here is that you'll just make the research accessible but not the product. Mm. Yeah, so the product will remain patented. You still have control over the product. Oh, okay. That's the silver bullet for God. Yeah. Alright, okay. That's fair. So that's one example of a motion set that's uh, more or less balanced. I think in the end, what I expect from this motion set is a perfect veto. I'm pretty sure we'll end up debating the last motion. I think op should a good op should capitalize on the second motion and how they can... You know, they have so many options yeah. for how to like counter-propose to gov policy. Alright, let's do the next set real quick. Um, so this motion is about feminism. The first motion is, in places with high crime rates, this house would impose a curfew on men. Second motion, this house would actively present traditionally male occupations as female. 
um, through the use of real-life examples, depictions, and illustrations in basic education. And the last motion is this house would force men and women to take equal maternity and paternity leave. Um, this is also from Adelante Cup. Um, the reason being, this was just like the first motion sets I got access to because it just concluded recently and these were the photos that showed up in my Time <laughs> chat box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think we're still gov. Okay, yeah, we're, we're still gov. Um, for me, I would say that we should give the first to the second motion. The one about um, presenting traditionally male occupations as female in basic education. Yeah, I don't see the strongest argument yeah. at all. Like, what's the like, harm? Because on one hand, like the strongest thing that we could say um, on Gov is that oh, there's this like patriarchal notion of what like jobs people should go into. Like, if you're a man, you should be a doctor, be a doctor, or a, a soldier, fireman, for example. Yeah. But if you're a female, it's a teacher, nurse, nurse, and ganyan. Not even cook now. Yeah, <laughs> not even cook. Chefs are now like chefs are male. <laughs> yeah. So, um, on the other hand, I don't think opposition has anything to say. Like for me, personally, I'm, I think Adjkor would disagree with me on this. But like, I don't. It's not as intuitive to me. Like, because it's very easy for government to just say that opposition wants to make gender roles the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, for me, at best, opposition will say that this might be unnecessary. It's, like, only a small benefit because people don't really get those ideas in basic education. Yeah, but a small benefit is still a benefit. That's what I'd say. Yeah, because I don't think that there's any harm in any... And if if they run backlash, men are men, they're gonna backlash at everything, so... Yeah. Which leads us to the first motion. Yeah. um, places with high crime rates impose a curfew on men. Um, I'm a bit iffy on this on Gov because I would argue that even if we put a curfew on men, they're, they're still gonna be... Sh- they're still gonna, like, bring their abuse at home. They're gonna put it in places where yeah. it's harder to spot. Yeah. We don't tackle the problem. The root problem is the patriarchy and toxic masculinity. Putting a curfew doesn't remove the toxic masculinity. It just takes it out of the streets at night. Actually, it, you, you might argue on government that like it worsens it, like um, be, like men always like ah, I really want to go out tonight. I really want to go out, man, but I can't. I fucking hate life right now. I'm gonna and drink then, at oh, home. I'm gonna drink at home. Like no one should bother me. My kids shouldn't bother me, etc. Yeah. And so um, I think the strongest thing that government will be able to say here is that we have to protect women. Like, in places with really high crime rates, it's statistically speaking, men who are more likely to commit those crimes. Yeah. So, like, curfew. But, yeah, I think opposition's case here is solid. It's pretty solid. Yeah, and there are other ways to solve the patriarchy. There are other ways to deal with high crime rates. There's also the backlash argument. Well, to be fair, it's easy to rebut, but... I, I would say, statistically, curfews have not been proven effective anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would like put this really low for God. The last one is force men and women to take equal maternity and paternity leave. Okay, I know you have like special knowledge on this since it's law related and you did this debate in a tournament before with your law friends. Yeah, so the the Okay, so we know about the extended maternity leave law, mm-hmm. which is um, extended to one hundred and eighty days. Yeah. And the reason for that is because it takes at least one hundred and eighty days for a mother to recover from childbirth, pregnancy, like getting things fixed at home, etc. Um, the problem, 
I think on government here is that um, paternity leave doesn't have the same like effect. It never had the same effect to begin with. Even when it was 120 days, I think um, paternity leave was only limited to like a week. Yeah. And not just that. Another problem is that um, maternity leave for women um, it can exist no matter how many pregnancies that the woman gets. So, kanyare, like it's your tenth child, you'll still get maternity leave for your tenth child. Mm. But for paternity leave, you only get paternity leave for the first few. I think it's like four um, pregnancies of the of the legal spouse or fifth child. <laughs> yeah. So, like poor fifth child. So, like if the purpose of the maternity leave is to a um, help the woman, but at the same time giving her paid leave, and second, um, raising the child. Also, raising the child. I think it's valuable for you to have equal maternity and paternity leave. The strongest thing an opposition will be able to say, in my opinion, is that like by doing this, you're basically saying that men and women have like equal, equal. risks, but. Obviously, women have more risks here because they're the ones who ha- whose bodies have to go through the hurt, etc. Yeah, um, it's very common for women to get depression right after giving birth or have like yeah. psychological issues. Men don't have to deal with that; they just kind of yes, like let go of their sperm and they're good. Yeah, but what <laughs> I would say on Gov is that this isn't here. The policy on Gov isn't to reward men. <laughs> Like, it's not, oh, you must have suffered so much. Here, take 180 it's days. It's to actually help the woman. It's help the woman. Yeah. And like, that's also the reason why it's paid leave either way for paternity and maternity. So I would say like, even the strongest argument of opposition, we don't necessarily have to buy that. In fact, we could say that it is precisely because women have it so tough like on their bodies mm-hmm. after pregnancies that we have to give men also as many opportunities as possible to help. Okay. But of course, like, in, in practice, it won't really happen like that because <laughs> men are trash. Yeah, men are trash. But, like, give them a chance, you know? And yeah. even if they even if they don't help, like, the paid leave will definitely help. Yeah. So, so we picked this motion set because if you notice, two motions here actually benefit government. Because if I was an op, I wouldn't know what to veto. Would I veto the second motion or the last motion? Because I don't know how to defend the status quo of paternity and maternity leaves but I, I wouldn't know either how to defend um, like keeping traditionally male occupations like presented by males yeah yeah so if we were an op how would you strategize this if I was an op so if I was an op I would make number one the first motion like for sure I would go against the curfew on men curfew on men yeah hmm. but, but if I was an op I wouldn't know I think it's just a toss up between the last two motions, I think we're both at a disadvantage. No, I, I, I still believe that it takes much more effort to make a case on opposition for the second motion, the one about mm. um the one about traditionally male occupations being portrayed as female. I, I I honestly don't know how to defend that like status quo. So how would you defend the last motion at all? Just um, really quick. Besides def- the whole notion that oh we're equalizing the sufferings of men and women, even if women suffer more. What I would say is, it's it now becomes much more difficult for employers oh. to so employers such a for for me because there like there there was this controversy before um, when people said if you expand maternity leave it becomes much harder for employers to want to hire women so ngayon opposition will now say oh well there's no more difficulty because 
paternity and maternity leaves apply to both men and women, yeah. there's still a problem there. Because now, employers are less likely to hire married men, married women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And these are the same couples that are most likely to need work in order to provide for the family. Ah, uh, okay. I think there's a silver bullet in, in Yeah. It's not as big of a silver bullet compared to government. But I think if you run it well, you'll be able yeah. to do to, to it. Yeah, so I think that was a pretty good veto. So we don't usually veto this long. We we just kind of went through the arguments for the sake yeah, of the, the logic, listeners. Yeah. yeah, because if it was just us, we just kind of point at motions and nod in agreement. As to how we're gonna veto, we're gonna talk telepathically. <laughs> and and it would be in like Filipino. Yeah, yeah. We're, and there's gonna be a lot more cussing. I did cuss once in a while in this episode. I'm so sorry, but man, you know, man. Yeah, it, it's about men. I can't help it. All right, so I, I, that's it. Um, Next episode, we're probably going to talk about reply, reply speeches. Yeah, and this is something that Nina is very into because she's always a reply for our team. And, it's also and, something that I was into because yeah. I was replied for. Oh, during our first team up, I was replied. I didn't know how to reply yet. Yeah, yeah, but but I I managed to use my judge skills. But anyway, that's for the next episode. That's for another conversation. So that's it on vetoes. If you have any questions about it, feel free to message us. Feel free to bug Kyle, bug Kyle, not me. <laughs> I, I I respond a lot less than Kyle does. Trust me. So that's it for this episode. Um, we're sorry again that we haven't uploaded in a while because we've just be, been really busy. I have the worst Sam. I have the worst Sam. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Like, like if you want to ask Kyle how he is, please do. He's kind of going through a tough time. <laughs> okay, that's it. Um, thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>